Hello and welcome back to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. This is I Love Basketball. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant, joined by Anthony Irwin, as we discuss which of the Frozen movies is better. (laughs) (laughs) It's two and it's not close. I think that's how the, I think that's like how everything is framed on Twitter. It's not enough to just say that something is better. You have to also add to it that it's, it's not close. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like, even like, worth having an argument about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At your mom or something like that is, is another <laughs> good addition to the tweet. But but, but yeah, I, Avery is Avery is at that age where she is singing along to. Well, she's not very good at speaking at like her dad, but she's singing along to these songs and is putting in requests for what movies that she wants. And the, the request is always Elsa, Elsa, Elsa. And then also like she, everybody who has had parents will, will, will relate, relate to this. They don't just ask once they like Avery will come up and just say like, Hey, can I watch Elsa? And then that'll be it. She'll Elsa, 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 you know, a pop, 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 pop. And it's just like, it's just, if you ever have a headache as a parent, you are going to want your head to fall off by the end of the day because your, your kid is just that annoying. Everybody should be a parent though. It's, it's God's great gift to the world children. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just reminded of that thing where like, if you say the word a certain number of times, it just immediately sounds weird, regardless of whether the word is weird or not. Like, yeah, I couldn't even tell that you were saying pop by the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> neither, neither can I. I'm losing my mind when people ask like, why are you always so upset on Twitter? Or why are you always so negative about the Lakers? It's like, cause, cause I'm a stay at home dad who works from home while juggling a toddler and a dog. It's just, it's just, it's just frozen five times a week, <laughs> like all the five times a week. It's like a couple times a day. Like there's some days where she's just like the movie ends and she immediately goes right back into Elsa, Elsa, Elsa. Elsa, Elsa. I was like, we're going to watch something Elsa. Like we can't, I can't do this anymore. Well, at least you have the two to make it a double feature, you know, something to, yeah. to ease your difficulties. Uh-huh. Jen, come home. <laughs> I will, I will have to uh, watch the entirety of Frozen 2 at some point so we can have a realistic discussion about this. But for now, I am, a, I'm a big fan of Frozen 1. Really enjoyed that movie. We should do Lakers as frozen characters sometimes. Lakers as frozen characters. Uh, I don't know would do as well as Lakers as succession characters, but we will see. <laughs> it is it is worth a shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anthony Davis as Elsa in his like let it go moment is like, I'm playing power forward, you MFers. <laughs> Going off to my palace where there are no other power forwards on the roster and I'm playing power forward. <laughs> Well, that is a seamless transition into the first Lakers preseason game because we got Anthony Davis at power forward for all of 12 minutes um, while mm-hmm. the Lakers were forced to play, you know, other centers because of this, the weird lineup configurations they had, you know, at their disposal that day. No, no reason, no LeBron, no Mello, no Russ, no Russ. Mm-hmm. Um, who theoretically could function as a center if he is willing to. I'm holding out hope that Russell Westbrook decides he wants to set some screens. But mm-hmm. the topic for today uh, really has to be the the back end of the Lakers guard rotation. So we, we sort of know like certain things that are going to be in place. Obviously the Lakers have their three starters. 
two guys, two other people will fill in around them. I assume one of them is going to be Kent Bazemore. Um, although that is not what the athletic report suggested, but maybe Trevor Reza's limited availability for parts of training camp will affect that. I don't know. Um, I would say that of the preseason game we saw yesterday, the standout would have to be Malik Monk, who you mm-hmm. and I both did not expect to factor into the Lakers rotation uh, for a variety of reasons. And I think it's probably useful that we go over some of them again, because um, there's, there's a lot of guys on the Laker roster. So that's number one, right? Yeah. Uh, a lot of players on the Lakers, uh, several of them, not several, I guess two of the ones in front of him belong to clutch. I think Kendrick Nutton just signed with clutch like a week ago and mm-hmm. Taylor Norton Tucker has been represented Smart by Rich Paul since he entered the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have the fact that those two Malik, uh, Kendrick Nunn and THT are paid more than Malik Monk. Mm-hmm. So there is a natural incentive to want to get more out of that investment. Um, and then we have the fact that uh, even among the guys who like are paid the same as Malik Monk, like Owen Allington or Kent Bazemore, those guys have more established track records and have Laker blood, you know, for whatever that's worth. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Malik Monk fighting an uphill battle to get playing time on this particular Lakers team. But I think, you know, as far as you can make a case during preseason, did everything he could during yesterday's game to show why, hey, um, as long as there were minutes to be had at the two, I'm available. So, Anthony, what (laughs) is it that you liked about him uh, in this preseason game? Well, he made jumpers. That's that's always kind of the starting point for for me. I'm a simple man. You know, <laughs> can you, can you defend and not be a disaster on that end of the court? And then can you knock down open jumpers on the other one? Mm-hmm. Um, the other nice thing that uh, Monk brings and, and none is fairly good at this too, but, but somebody who in the pick and roll, like the, the, the guards that the Lakers have had over the last few years in when they were in pick and roll situations, other teams never really had to worry all that much about them, uh, turning the corner and hitting that mid-range jumper off of the dribble. Uh, that was never something that, you know, if, if that was a shot that a player took normally, you know, defenses would consider that a win given mm-hmm. some of the other options that are out there on the court. Uh, but with none, I think you do kind of have to honor that you do have to get up and get a hand up. And so if he goes to shoot it uh, and somebody comes out to challenge it, that opens up the key a little bit more for whoever is rolling to the basket. So that's a that's a nice uh, addition there to a nice little wrinkle to what they could be doing, and then and then also like because of the way that he can handle the pick and roll, and because of the way that none can handle the pick and roll, like generally speaking, the Lakers are always going to have at least one guy who is a legitimate threat uh, as a pick and roll ball handler on the court at all times, and so I think and we saw this a little bit in in that um, in that first game their offense is going to look a little bit more, they're, they're going to, they're, they, they look a little more modern. There's a couple extra wrinkles to every play that they didn't have access to in past years because like Alex Caruso isn't a pick and roll ball handler. And because, you know, Kentavious Caldwell Pope isn't particularly great at that either, you know, and, and for like, yes, Dennis Schroeder is a threat because he can always turn the corner and he's one of the faster players in the NBA if he went up for a jumper, generally speaking, there wasn't almost anybody challenging him because you win. Like if, if you mm-hmm. forced Dennis Schroeder into a mid range jumper, you did your job as a defense. So that was a nice little addition there too. And, and I, I think also like for, for 
it was interesting. I on the weekends I've re- really been focusing on, you know, staying off of social media and just kind of like you know, and and it was nice to watch the game that way too this time. Where I don't think I I don't think I sent very many, if any, tweets about the Lakers while they were playing there. Um, but I, that doesn't mean that I I'm not monitoring some of the things that that uh, the other people who are who I follow are watching the game. And yeah, Monk seemed to be pretty popular. The, the the crowd really seemed to get behind him and the things that he can do. And and I think today a lot of Laker fans woke up trying to figure out ways for him to find minutes. But as you outlined at the beginning of the show, it's really difficult to do so. They're very crowded up there at his position with guys who have a little bit more political capital in the locker room and in the organization. So uh, I, I guess my question to you, Sabrina, is like, do you see a realistic si- situation here where he is so much better than those guys that the Lakers, like their their hand is forced and he has to have a role? So, that, I mean, that's that's a tricky question because what do I know about the inner machinations of Frank Vogel's head and the rest of the Lakers coaching staff? Um, I, I do think it's a good sign that the Lakers have only committed to three starters, Right. Um, the other two spots are available. I'm not saying that Monk is going to be a starter because for all of the good that he did in yesterday's game, the the tenor of all the quotes was, when I come off the bench, I'm supposed right. to do this, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's just uh, sort of throw away the idea that Monk is going to somehow enter the starting lineup, which in all fairness, like he, he hasn't shown to me enough in his four-year NBA career to date to suggest that he needs to be starting on a championship level Absolutely team. Like I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not there yet. Right. Like this is one yeah. preseason game. However, he's had one good season. Like yeah. he, there's a reason. And it's kind of odd that he's had one good season. And after that good season, Charlotte was like, Oh man, we just can't find a spot. Like <laughs> it's why he has his career year. And the team that drafted him said like, all right, man, good luck. Yeah. You do your thing out there, buddy. It is, it is rare for a team to decide that a good player is not worth handing a second contract to, right? Like the Lakers Mm -hmm. found themselves in a super weird position when Contavious Caldwell Pope was available after his four years in Detroit, but that was a a salary thing. You know, they were trying to make room to fit in Avery Bradley on that Detroit team. So they needed to get rid of KCP, just Lakers word salad at this point, but um, it's, it's not an like, a common situation for a player to be good on his rookie contract and then become available. So the fact that he is available means he probably was not very good on his rookie contract. And I'm willing to concede that point. Uh, mm-hmm. One preseason game is not enough to, you know, overcome the the tracker that Malik Monk has mm-hmm. to this point. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we can, we can throw the starting lineup thing out of for now, but he could very well be the guy in the second unit, you know, like let's say he plays next to, Russ, THT, LeBron, and a big in that second unit lineup, right? Like that, mm-hmm. that's something there. Um, I, don't, I don't think Russ, THT, and LeBron actually play together. Let's say like Russ, uh, THT, AD, Monk, and some other player. I think that yeah. force makes a little bit more Mellow sense. or something. Yeah, yeah, like another shooter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that in these bench lineups with Russell Westbrook, you're going to want as much spacing as possible, which is why the idea of Anthony Davis playing the five is so important to the Lakers success, both during the regular season and beyond, because it's just very hard to have multiple non floor spacers playing together. And that is always going to be the case with the Lakers because you have Talon who doesn't really shoot. You've got Russ and you've got like centers who will have to play at some point or another. Uh, So just maximizing that 
shooting threat at every other position seems very important. And it's not even so much that like he has the percentages to be a good shooter. It looks like he is comfortable taking those shots, right? Yeah. Like so many He's times we've seen these situations. Jumper. Yeah. We've seen these situations where uh, someone comes in like with a really good shooting percentage and they join the LeBron team. And what was it like the ball gets heavier when LeBron is passing it to you. Right. I can't remember if we talked about this or it was just written um, mm. in a post on silver screen roll, but it's very much a thing, right? Like if uh, you're playing on a team with expectations and LeBron is passing the ball and looking you in the eyes and expecting you to make a shot, like theoretically it's easier because it's probably a very good pass. Yeah. But on the other hand, LeBron is also looking you in the eyes and expecting you to make a shot. Right. <laughs> and that is a challenge. Yeah. Um, and Monk hasn't done that yet, obviously, like did not play with LeBron James in this game, but he did put on the Laker uniform, right? He was playing in Staples Center. LeBron James was on the bench watching him sort of, I assume, making notes for himself as to who he wants to play with as the rest of the season goes on. Mm -hmm. And he passed his first test and that's, that's not nothing, right? Like that is very much uh, like people do not usually have like the best starts when they start out on the Lakers. Like it's, it's hard to adjust to. I mean, I I hate to bring up KCP over and over again, but like famously very slow starts to every single regular season. Had he been a faster starter, I feel like we wouldn't have had the conversation about, Oh, should KCP been the starting lineup? Because it was, you know, putting up O of nine shooting lines to like right. start the year. Uh, so I do think that there's a role for him here because the, the guy I sort of see him competing for the most minutes with is Wayne Ellington. Mm. And just because they're, they're like the most offense, least defense prototypes on yeah. the Laker roster. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, with, without all like the ball handling that Kendrick Nunn theoretically provides uh, because uh, I don't, you mentioned like Monk as a pick and roll operator. I don't think that's been his MO throughout his career. Like he's never really played point guard. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure if like, that's how the Lakers see him yet, or just more as a prototypical two who's going to play off the ball. So if you compare him to Ellington, the fact that Ellington, like I said, no defense looked washed defensively in a preseason game. <laughs> it yeah. was, was a little hard to stomach. <laughs> yeah. Especially because it wasn't he was it wasn't like he was guarding like James Harden out there. Yeah. Like it wasn't it wasn't I don't like because I don't think any of the big three for Brooklyn played. Correct. Um, just like you know only two of the big three for the Lakers play or one of the big three uh, for the Lakers played. So the fact that it was kind of like a you know a pickup game in uniforms uh, and and Ellington looked like he couldn't guard you know the the person in front of him in in that kind of a setting was kind of a bummer, but also like he's going to look better just like Monk will look better. Everybody is going to look better when Russ and AD and LeBron's athleticism is all out there. Agreed. But I also do think that Vogel has shown his preference for guys who can play defense. Yeah. And if Monk is just better than Ellington defensively, which I don't think is a very high bar to clear, that's his path to playing time. And so that mm-hmm. became pretty clear to me yesterday when it was like, oh, well, I never really thought of Monk as a defender, but I, I think he can outdo Wayne. <laughs> like that's where I am. And yeah. that's sort of where I think the minutes are going to come from. Yeah. I, it makes a lot of sense, you know, and, and, and this is what's kind of funny about this is you're absolutely right in pointing out that uh, Frank Vogel prefers defenders, has always preferred defenders, will always play defense over offense if given the opportunity to choose between the two. The difference, though, I think with this team compared to especially the last couple seasons and, and 
even more specifically uh, compared to the, the championship team from two years ago is that like that team's identity had to be defend, get out and run and, and go out and score in transition. Right. Um, this team though, I don't think that I, their identity can be that. I, I don't think they're capable of defending the way that that team defended two years ago. I don't think they're capable of defending the way that last year's team defended where Dennis Schroeder was a pretty good uh, point of attack defender. Mm -hmm. And Alex Caruso was, is a better defensive player than every perimeter player on the team right now. Um, You know, and, and uh, Kyle Kuzma was probably better as a defensive wing than everybody not named LeBron on this team. And so like that team was capable of having an identity that aligns with Frank Vogels. And that's why I found it so interesting to see the, the, the extra things that they appear to have added in uh, preseason. Normally, for a team that has this much turnover, the focus is almost always, well, let's just defend because it's easier to outline a defensive system in general, you know, like to get those defensive principles in place in general. And then especially for Frank Vogel, that's what he's comfortable with. But the fact that they kind of added a couple extra tweaks and plan B's on offense heading into the first preseason game really tells me, like, I think they understand their identity is going to have to come probably on the offensive side. And it's probably going to come through what they're capable of doing in transition, which does require defense, but still like they are going to be their most dominant and uh, you know, the the most impressive they're ever going to be is going to be when they get out and run. But, uh, but also like if you have enough shooting out there, I don't know how you stop a Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis pick and roll with LeBron being one of the quote unquote floor spacers who you can't really ignore. And then Wayne Ellington and Malik Monk in both of the corners there uh, in in each of the corners. Like, I don't know what you, what you do defensively against that. And so if that is going to be their identity where it is going to be more offensive versus the defensive identities that they've had the last couple of years, Frank Vogel might have to rethink his approach to what he prioritizes and in, in, in what he sees from these players. It might, honestly, I, it's not that I'm disagreeing with you in saying that. Um, okay. Disagree with me by all means. I think that'll play no, well for me I, on the internet. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even necessarily disagreeing. Cause I, I agree with you in any given year, it would be who between those two guys is playing the better defense. But this year, I think it's going to come down to who's knocking down the shots most consistently. Who, who can we actually rely on and, and, and add something to the offensive firepower that we actually have out there on the court? I do wonder if like the focus on offense this year isn't just because of the personnel, but because of the struggles that the Lakers had on offense the last two years, like when they opened training camp with a, Hey, we're going to play defense first and then work on the offense. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, offensively, like the, it was a grind a real grind for the Lakers the last few years, even when they won a title, like it was not pretty offensive basketball. That was the reason they ended up in that position. You know, the conversation about the Lakers, every time they went to the playoffs was always, Hey, can they rely on transition enough to score Mm -hmm. enough in in the, in the postseason? one year that wound up being the case. The other year, well, injuries happened, but the other year too, like the offense really kind of got a little ugly in those postseason spots. So, so yeah, it's going to be the same I wonder if they just realize that because of the way Frank Vogel works and like, because of 
the natural like space and complications that exist on this roster, like they just have to try working on the offense first in order to have a hope and prayer of having a postseason level offense by the time April, May rolls around. Um, and, you know, you, you think about how good the Lakers were defensively, like they maintained that number one defense ranking when it was like Ben McLemore and Andre Drummond and, you know, Montrez Harrell playing big minutes for the Lakers while their two superstars were out. And mm-hmm. so I think that, you know, we talked about this in terms of the roster construction, how they were like, Hey, Frank, you can just make a defense work with whatever. It's almost like, Hey, you can make a defense work whenever too. Like we need to start focusing on how to score first mm-hmm. and then worry about the defense later. Uh, I still think that the decision-making is going to come down to like, which guy is not going to get beat off the dribble by his man over and over again. But I do wonder if like their priorities in terms of how they're building the team, like through camp, like what they're, what plays are installing first. I think just the, the results of the last two seasons make it seem like, Hey, we, we kind of have to learn how to score earlier on this year. Like we can't, we can't mm-hmm. rely on our defense first because it's not going to be as good, but then also like it's, it's going to take some time, right? Like yeah. we've shown that it's, it's not as easy for us to learn this side of the ball. Well, I mean, for some of those guys, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it doesn't even matter if they, if Wayne Ellington learns the principles, I'm sorry, he's still not going to be very good defensively. Mm-hmm. Like he's just not that player. He's never been particularly good defensively. And at this stage of his career, he's just not that player. Um, we got to see what Trevor looks like. Uh, Trevor Reza looks like when he's healthy, if he's healthy, you know, it's like what stage of his career is he at? And, you know, Malik Monk and Kendrick Nunn, Nunn is the better defender of those two, but only because somebody has to be. <laughs> like, right. Then he also played in Miami, which helps. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. And, and yeah, some of that culture and that approach to defense where like he doesn't get on the court in Eric Spolstra's system if he doesn't if he's if he's an embarrassment defensively right that just Mm -hmm. doesn't happen so so that's certainly going to help but still like a a a, we're only good as as the tools that we have right like Mm -hmm. I I I am not uh as good a writer as Hunter S. Thompson you know or (laughs) because like he has a different he has a different, he has access to different tools than I have mentally. He's just a smarter writer than I will ever be. And, and uh, you know, for, for, for podcasting too, like there are just some people where I just like, I'm going to stumble through some of my words. I'm going to stumble through some of my analogies. And some of those other people out there doing podcasts are, are just better at that stuff than I am. And <laughs> you know what? That's why they make more money than I do. That's how this <laughs> works. And so like, but for, for, you know, defense here, um, I think you're always like, because Anthony Davis is there because LeBron James is there and because Frank Vogel is there, I think there's always going to be like a baseline of caliber of defense that they're going to be capable of playing. Like they are never going to be like top or, or bottom five worst defenses in the league. Like that is right. just never going to happen. It's just a matter of like this team's ceiling defensively. It's just nowhere near what the ceilings were of the last two teams. That said, the last two teams offensively, those team ceilings were nowhere near where this team is at, what this team could be on that side of the ball. And, and I would maybe argue, like I think one of the things that we've really learned and, and why the Lakers were such kind of outliers and why it was so hard, I think, for 
analysts to uh, contextualize why the Lakers had success or the sex, the success that they had, (laughs) they were in a bubble. They didn't have that much of that either, but like, (laughs) so like, I think for, for a lot of my friends who, you know, analyze and try to predict what these teams are going to do in certain situations, I think what the, the hang up with them was always the best teams have always been the best on the off offensive side of the ball. It was really rare. It became really rare that a defensive identity was actually good enough. There were that a team could have a good enough defensive identity to be effective in the postseason against some of these elite offenses. And, and I think uh, one, it's more taxing to play that way. So it doesn't surprise me that LeBron and AD would say like, all right, that's, enough of that we had to play really really hard on those teams yeah (laughs) and then two like I think I you know in terms of of what LeBron and 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 AD are good at right now at the stages of their careers that they are at they LeBron is still the best offensive mind in the game he's not going to be one of the best defensive players in the game so why not just stick to what he's better at anyway you know Anthony Davis is still one of the best finishers on the offensive side of the ball in the game so let's do that like let's see what we can optimize on that side of the court and then just see what the lakers wind up being on on defense and and uh if they have to make tweaks they'll make tweaks we'll see how effective they are they are doing that but i i actually like the approach that they're i think their approach makes a lot of sense here given the personnel and given what they had to do the last couple seasons to be successful Okay, so if we assume that the Lakers are framing their identity as an offensive team and that Frank will have to make some decisions that prioritize offense versus defense, which is something that he has not done in the first two years as Lakers head coach, in that scenario, what does Monk do to earn minutes? Is it just make more shots than the other guys? Because will he have the opportunity to make more shots if he's not getting the playing time? Like, What does he have to show to prove that he is the right offensive weapon? Well, I think one thing that really helps him is that ability on the ball to handle the pick and roll. That's some like if the Lakers slightly improved their team last year by by adding Dennis Schroeder, and if they if they improved that aspect of their game, right, the ability to be a threat in the pick and roll, um, if that is something that Schroeder added to it, uh, they definitely still didn't have it on the on in bench lineups. Like that wasn't something that I trusted THT to be able to do. Caruso still couldn't do that last year. And, and I think here with this team, that is something that, that those teams can be good at. I think Malik Monk and Dwight Howard and Malik Monk and DeAndre Jordan or Malik Monk and Anthony Davis in the pick and roll is very like that's 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 a team or that's a combination there that I wouldn't want to have to try to de- design a defense to stop. That's really difficult. Monk can shoot. You can't go under the screen with Monk. Uh, you definitely can't leave Anthony Davis to go defend Monk on the perimeter, but that just means you're giving him a wide open mid range jumper that I think he feels comfortable taking. And so I think it's not obviously at the end of the day, if Wayne Ellington is like a 45% three point shooter and Malik Monk is like a 38% three point shooter, you still got to go Ellington. But the fact that Monk can do that and will be a better defender. If, if Ellington is like, 43 and monk is like 39 or 40 i think i would rather have monk out there 
Yeah, I guess it just comes down to how much is anyone going to be handling the ball outside of Russell LeBron? Yeah. You know, like we, we saw the, the first prototype of a LeBron Lakers team was a lot of ball handlers and they did a lot of spotting up in the corners and not handling the ball. Right? Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I guess Rondo got to run point guard because Rondo always gets to handle the ball. But if you have <laughs> Rondo and Westbrook and LeBron, I just have a hard time seeing how much Monk is really going to get to do on the ball. And so it's, it's harder for me to see him differentiating himself offensively than it is defensively because of the responsibilities that he will be given. Yeah. I, I, I think that's absolutely fair. Uh, I don't know how much Rondo is actually going to play this year. And I think if it's LeBron and Monk out there on the court together, I would like mm-hmm. to see it LeBron and Monk pick and roll. Like that would yeah. fascinate me that, that I, like if, if it's like LeBron and Dwight and LeBron is playing the four and you have like mellow kind of spacing the floor is the, the pseudo three slash four. Right. And if you have monk with the ball and, and LeBron is setting a screen for him, you definitely can't leave LeBron because LeBron in a short roll feels like terrifying for, oh for any God. defense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, but, it, it, and, but then again, like, you don't want Monk turning the corner into a wide open area to be able to make whatever decision he he wants to make there. So um, I, I think I, I still think there's value to it. Rondo's role here is really interesting because like they asked him about it and he said, coach said anywhere from zero to 48 minutes. Let's take that like for what, what he was saying, right? He's being a smart ass and all that stuff too. But was there ever a situation the last time Rondo was a Laker where zero minutes was on the table? No. No. Unless he right? was in one of his hand injury spells. <laughs> right, right, right. Like during the regular season, it didn't matter how bad Rondo was. He was still going to get his like 15, 20 minutes. Like that was just going to be how that goes out. I don't know that that's actually the case here. He has actually said that there are going to be some nights potentially where he's more of a coach than he is a player. And he's accepting that. And so I think if Rondo plays a role that is more commensurate with where he is at, at, at this stage of his career. I think that opens up the, uh, the, the opportunity for Monk in those non-rust minutes to be a lead ball handler and be a threat in that, in that role that like THT still, I don't think will be able to be that uh, none might be, but I, I think, you know, it, it's going to kind of come down to who is, defending better and who is shooting better between those two guys i basically long story short i think monk is up against it when it comes to like actual competition for legit minutes on on a regular basis but i think it's more possible on this team for him to win a that kind of a role than it would have been on on the last few teams like i I think monk like he was never going to play more than caruso he never would have played more than caruso He, uh, I don't think, you know, he, he never would have played more than Rondo the last time Rondo was here, but Mm -hmm. on this team, I think there is, there is an opportunity for him to win some minutes here, given the people that he's going to be going up against. Do you think he can win minutes at the expense of THT? Basketball wise. Yeah. Like I, would it surprise you this year if Monk was a better basketball player this year than Taylor Horton Tucker? I still think Taylor can do a lot of things um, handling the ball and like defensively has more tools in his, you know, mm-hmm. chest than yeah. Monk does. I could definitely see Malik being a better fit 
for what the mm-hmm. Lakers need than what Talon is this year. I'm, I'm too high on the Talon Horn Tucker train to say that he's going to be worse at basketball than Malik Monk this year, but I could definitely <laughs> see Monk being a cleaner, more natural fit for what the yeah. Lakers need than Talon. Yeah. I think so. It's kind of like the, it's kind of the analogy is like in boxing where if you're the underdog, you really have to show that you are significantly better than the person that you're beating in order to win that fight, mm-hmm. you know, win that decision. Um, and I think here with Monk, I don't know. I don't know that he can be that or that he would ever be that much better than Taylor Horton Tucker that the Lakers would be willing to, to take away from the opportunities they give THT uh, and give them to Monk. Like, I, I think he might be slightly better, but it won't be so much better that people are demanding Monk play over Taylor Horton Tucker. And, and I think they've, they've, they're so, they are so pot committed on, on Taylor Horton Tucker, both because of the clutch thing and because of, you know, fair or not, they chose him over Alex Caruso. And so like, they are extremely invested in Taylor Horton Tucker being good yeah. this year and being good over the course of that contract. And if they give minutes to Malik Monk, a, a minimum player over Taylor Horton Tucker, that's admitting failure to a certain degree. Yeah. And that's the problem with Monk, because if he has a good year, he's not coming back to the Lakers, right? If he has a good year, right. he will have priced himself out of mm-hmm. returning to this team, which is the unfortunate part of that minimum contract. And you give it to a young player. There's just no way for the team to benefit from doing a good job with him. Right. right? Um, so I, I completely understand. Like, it's not even that they picked Talon over Caruso. It's that, oh, we have Talon for multiple years. We have his free agent rights. He could be a long-term piece of this team contractually in a way mm-hmm. that Monk just cannot. Right. So there, that's a, that's a really valid reason to want to, you know, prioritize THG's future over Monk's yeah. and the fact that I think Talon is um, more capable of playing to three just because of his length defensively than Monk is just gives him a little bit more versatility in terms of the lineups that they're going to pick. Cause Monk is what six, three. Um, and I don't think he has a particularly long wingspan. I'm going to Google that real quick just to not. Have yeah. My I mean, my he's never really out. had the tools to be a good defender. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Google is telling me that he's a six, four wingspan. So yeah, he's not exactly um, a long armed guy. Who's going to play above his size on defense. So yeah, I think, you know, because of that contract stuff, because of the positional versatility, it's going to be very hard for Monk to eclipse Taylor Horton Tucker in the rotation. Uh, Mm -hmm. So you kind of just have to hope that like he gets more minutes than Ellington and Rondo if he's going to crack the end of that guard rotation. Yeah. Yeah. It says I'm reading, I'm reading his draft express profile here. And uh, this is what um, Schmitz wrote about it. So one of the most electric players in all of college basketball Malik Monk is a highlight waiting to happen, and he proved to be the perfect backcourt mate next to De'Aaron Fox. Uh, thanks for his ability to get buckets off of quick-hitting actions. It's important to know what you're getting on Monk, however, as drafting him as a league guard of the future could end poorly. His mentality has always been score first and score second variety. Uh, even if he's shown some improvements out of ball screens, he's likely more Zach Levine, Lou Williams, Monte Ellis than Bradley Beals in terms of style, at, this, at least at this stage of his development. Monk is best next to a big point guard who can run the show. Nice thing the Lakers have one of those um, yeah. <laughs> and has the size to defend twos. Um, but, but he lacks the physical school to, tools to check most shooting guards. That sounds about right. Yeah. Not, not much has changed. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Um, and in all fairness, like you and I did not pay the, a ton of attention to his Charlotte career. So the, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> whatever defensive gems he might have produced as a member of the Hornets have probably flown under the radar for you and I. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, it was kind of fun just to like have uh, Lakers basketball and a player to latch onto, you know? Yeah. Um, the the Hillbilly Kobe minutes were fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he has a clean shot. I thought, I thought, yeah. he, you know, it's a fine enough shot. I think he's really like, he's, he's a, he's paper thin. Like if yeah. <laughs> he's, I still think he's a little starstruck too. Yeah. yeah. You see him out there and well, just, just, he was starstruck on a court that didn't have Kevin Durant I know. and LeBron James. Hey, it's still Staples Center. The banners are still out there. Right, right. But I, like, <laughs> just imagine like what it, what he would look like out there with those guys, and and he's mm-hmm. not quite there physically. But I, you know, I, I can kind of understand why the Lakers would go in that direction and 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 convert his contract to a, an NBA contract versus the two way that it was originally. Uh, did any of those other? Um like South Bay guys stick out to you in that fourth quarter or nothing to write home about. This is, I am probably the worst person of like <laughs> silver screen and roll to ask this to. Okay. Because, yeah. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was frozen time by the fourth quarter in the Irwin household. <laughs> like, well, no, I mean, I, I just, I just look at it from like, look, when you when you have a team as good as this Lakers team and and a team that needs to win as immediately as the Lakers need to like this isn't the like the Oklahoma City Thunder back when Russ and KD and James Harden and and like Serge Ibaka and Jeff Green were like we could see what they could be years down the road um so like even while they had a title window you would look at it and say like yeah but that window's going to you know is the size it's the floor to the ceiling in terms of mm-hmm. how wide and how tall that thing is this this Lakers team, it has like two three years, and so it's really difficult for me to look at players at the end of a at the end of a uh, the first preseason game mm-hmm. that are two ways and people fighting for two ways and and get all that invested in. Did you see anything? Because and you know, it was just kind of there. No, I mean I, I I kind of feel the same way, but then I also like fondly think back to Alex Caruso how he was in his first year on a real NBA contract when he started a game in the NBA finals. So mm-hmm. I'm not willing to dismiss anyone out of hand. Uh, I will say that, that fourth quarter got super ugly and I'm hoping for yeah. better um, performances. Like 39 to 16. Yeah, it was, it was gross. So yeah, no, nothing from this game in particular, but it's something I'm keeping an eye on because, you know, the, the team has limited flexibility. They have to find these diamonds in the rough somehow. And I don't think it's, unreasonable that one of these guys who we saw on the court in the fourth quarter could be like a 10th man for the Lakers next year. So, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, we'll see. I, I just yeah. think, I think, I think for all of the two way guys, like Caruso was so unique because he was so good at the, at the small things that, and, and there were so few players that were that good or that, that did those small things. I think for Caruso, that role really kind of opened up itself to him because of the, because of like the talent on the roster at that time and, and, uh, and all of that. And then he just really focused on doing the things that allowed him to stay on the court. I don't really see anybody on this, on the, you know, in terms of two way guys who can do those little things in a way that like Taylor Horton Tucker couldn't eventually, you know, that it's just, I don't see the same openings and, and, and again, like I, I take everything I'm saying with a grain of salt, because 
I was absentmindedly watching, at, you know, <laughs> on my phone while Sunday Ticket was on the the multiple TVs that were in the house. Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously a different situation. Like Caruso popped at summer league, but also went surrounded by some pretty talented Lakers youngins on that team. And the overall level of talent on the summer league team was just night and day compared to that 2017 team when Caruso got his start. (laughs) So I just don't think we, we know enough about any of these guys to say if they can do the little things. I just think that there is always room for a guy like Alex Caruso on a roster. Mm -hmm. Um, So not to say that any of these guys are ever going to reach that level, but if they can do little things, you know, the Lakers have a lot of money committed to their top three and are always looking for some cost efficient options to fill out the end of the roster. Mm -hmm. So um, (laughs) I'm just saying it might not be the last we've seen of these guys. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep a look. The Lakers are, the Lakers are paying their young guys just like rant sports back in the day. Oh, you see it's your, your, your article. You just can't put a price tag on how valuable it is for people to see your byline there on the front of our website. It's there for five minutes because you have an entire cast, like 50 young people writing articles that just like, turn through. Yeah. I mean, this is why people listen to our podcast for conversations ranging from frozen to labor practices. So <laughs> you get it all here. All here. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Olaf was the first clickbait writer. And, <laughs> and on that note. Uh, this has been I Love Basketball. Make sure you're subscribed to the Silver Screen and Roll podcast every day of the week for multiple shows about the Lakers where you can hear the wonderful stylings of Anthony Irwin all throughout your feed. We'll catch you. Next week.